right, guys. Well, good morning, church. As you guys can see to my right, uh, that's, that's got something to do with what we're talking about. Not exactly, but I'd just like to w- uh, welcome you guys. Thank you guys so much for uh, being here today. It's awesome to be able to come before you today and to be able to preach the word. If you guys could go ahead and turn over in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 11, that's going to be our text today. Um, but since I have the floor, I get to talk about whatever I want to. And, and today I want to brag about the teen ministry because... This past Friday, the teen ministry did a spicy noodle challenge. Hence, what you see to to my right. So, we had over 20 contestants in the spicy noodle challenge. Um, As you can see over here, we have some happy contestants before they start eating the noodles. Um, You know, we, we continue on. And then things start to get a little interesting. Down in the bottom right, I'd like you to pay attention to Otis. This is the exact moment where he realizes he has made a terrible mistake. So as they went on, they ate some really spicy stuff. Uh, Things all the way up until the hottest chili pepper in the world. There's a hot sauce uh, with the Reaper pepper. Uh, They ate that as well. But as you can see, we have some people in various stages of uh, pain, sweating, you know, laughter. um, And uh, you can see Caitlin there. Also, terrible error. But one of my personal favorites is this image right here. The various stages of what you do when you eat spicy food. You have the normal people who are walking around, pacing, maybe uh, shaking, and, oh my gosh, it's so hot. But then you have people like Rock Lee doing push-ups. You have uh, Caleb down there, as well as Chris Lee. You can't see her on the frame, but they're meditating. You know, let the, be one with the spice. And then you may be able to see him in the back there, uh, but Tim has his face pressed up against the window, letting the nice, cool, cool window cool him down. That has nothing to do with what we're talking about today, but I just wanted to share that because the teens are doing amazing things, learning about God, and they are awesome. So give them a round of applause. Today's topic is on the Tower of Babel. Um, Let's go ahead and pray, and then uh, I'll share with you guys my three points, and then we can get started. Father God, thank you so much for this opportunity to come before this this group of people uh, to share your word. Uh, Please, God, uh, speak powerfully through me, speak powerfully through your word, and allow um, open people's hearts so that they can be impacted by your word, God. I pray all this in your son, Jesus' name. Amen. All right, amen. So, today I have three points, and those three points are head west, meant for more, and God's plan. And no, teens, I'm not talking about the Drake song. So, uh, on Wednesday, Timothy did a great job taking us through uh, Genesis chapter 9, uh, but we're going to be picking up right in, verse, uh, in chapter 11, verse 1. Let's go ahead and turn over there. Now the whole world had one language and a common speech. As people moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. They said to each other, come, let's make bricks and break them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and tar uh, for mortar. And they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we'll be scattered over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower that the people were building. The Lord said, if as one people speaking the same language, they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan will be impossible for them. 
Come, let us go down and confuse their language, so that they will not understand each other. But the Lord scattered them over, so the Lord scattered them over the whole earth, and they stopped the building the city. That is why it is called Babel, because the Lord confused their language of the whole world. For from there, the Lord scattered them over the whole earth. <clears throat> so, this is a passage that we all know, we are all familiar with, or many of us are. If you aren't, we're going to explore it today, so don't worry. Uh, but what I wanted to do is, at the moment, we'll go ahead and t- uh, watch a, a short video um, that kind of gives us a little bit of an explanation of you know, one of the concepts that we're going to be looking at. So, if you guys could turn your attention there. What does this have to do with God? Well, we've all, we've all been there, haven't we? We've all gotten an expensive piece of tech that we have, you know, just casually chucked or chucked away and used as a cutting board, right? You know, we can all relate to that. Okay, maybe not. But there, there's a reason why we react the way that we did to this video. I saw some people covering their mouth. Some people actually said sacrilege. You know, we have a pretty, pretty intense response when we see something like that happening. And, and, you know, what, what the reason is, is because we know what that thing is. We know that that iPad, what it is capable of, what you can do with it, and, and it is obviously not being used in the correct way. He's just cut, cut some vegetables on it, he's run it under the tap, and then he's just chucked it in the dishwasher. <laughs> what in the world is going on there? But... However, on a practical level, I, I think all of us have, or many of us have these kind of devices that, you know, they are capable of so much more than we actually use them for. You know, they, they can do so much, and we, you know, I, I know for myself, I only use them for phone calls or, you know, maybe, maybe some text messages, use a couple of apps, GPS, but... They're, they're capable of so much more. And I think that we none of us really use our phones or our tablets in their fullest capacity, except for maybe John Salud, who you know, uses everything to its fullest. So, but uh, we'll go ahead and look at my first point today, and it is head west. So in the video, the grandfather's problem was that he didn't know what he was dealing with. He didn't know what, what the thing that he was holding in his hands was capable of, and as a result, he used used it for something that it was definitely not intended for, and definitely voided Apple's warranty. (laughs) Most of us here in this room, we're Westerners, you know, and even if we're not Westerners, then when we read, we read like Westerners. You know, when we read something, when we read a text, we don't often pay attention to directions. You know, many of us have difficulty with left and right, much less east and west, you know, and so... But that's not what we're really talking about here. When we read a text, we actually, I know for myself, I often skip over words. Like, you know, in the passage in verse 2, it says, they headed east. But in my mind, I completely skip over that, and I just read the beginning part, and then the end of that, because I'm focused on what, what's the point of this passage? Where is it getting at? Where is it going to? You know, but 
when, when you actually are reading this kind of passage, it's important to remember that in Eastern and ancient Eastern writings, directions are actually important. The words that they put on the page are very important, and they serve a purpose, a purpose and they are, have an active part in the story. You know, in Genesis 3, if you've been here for the past couple of weeks, you know, we, we've been looking at the, the book of Genesis all the way up until chapter 11 now. But we see uh, Adam and Eve, and they're in the garden with God. We see that, you know, that, that they, are, they are there, they're with God, but then after, after the fall, they begin their steady march away from God. In Genesis 3, they leave the Garden of Eden. They leave it to the east. In Genesis 4, Cain goes out from the Lord's presence and he goes east. In Genesis 10, Noah and his family, after the flood, they spread out to the east. And in Genesis 11, we see again, as the people moved eastward. You know, in order to have a direction, it must be in reference to something else. You know, my left and your left are different. But in East and West, it's, it works a little bit differently. So in this case, when, when the first century readers were, would have read this passage, read these passages and heard them spoken, they would have understood that God was in the West and his people were going East. So if you live in Henderson, good on ya, well done. Now if you live in Botany, what this means is you have to sell your house and move to the West. <laughs> see in the story of Genesis 1 through 11 is that humanity is moving away from God's original intent. God created Eden as a place of perfection, not in the sense of static perfection that, you know, is never going to change, but it's dynamic perfection, growing, moving, but from Eden, mankind departs and heads to the east. Then Cain chooses uh, his own way, resulting in becoming a restless wanderer. You know, he heads off and settles in the east. Mankind spreads out from Cain, continuing eastwards in their hearts with the corruption of mankind and the world. This continues until God brings Noah and his family back towards God. But after some time, his family once again begins heading and settling to the east. Evil has been moving and growing, and now in Genesis 11, it's starting to organize itself. It's in, it started from an individual, then it moved to a family, a lineage, and then now to humanity and all of the earth, as you can see here. You know, but, but, this, this is, but God, you know, he brings it back. He brings it back with the flood, and, you know, but then they continue their eastward expansion, the eastward expansion of humanity. What God wanted from the beginning was a partnership with humanity. He wanted to work hand in hand with us to bring the world into being the, in the way that he intended, helping us along the way to understand the gift that he's given us and to use it to its fullest potential. But from the very beginning, you know, man and woman, they lost sight of God. They began to focus their attention on other things, like the grandfather in the video who was, who was cooking and thought to himself, oh, I need, I need a cutting board. And then he just kind of grabbed the first thing that he found, and it's like, oh, this will work. But that was not what that was intended for. Yeah. You know, but Adam and Eve, in the same way, they were deceived. And they focused, instead of on the things that they had, they focused on the things they thought they perceived that they didn't have. Cain was jealous of Abel, and out of his own heart, he began 
hum, uh, they began humanity's evil, which we see continuing in the world today. You know, and this is not an isolated incident. This isn't just a one-time thing. But we see this throughout the entire biblical story. You know, we don't have to look very far in our world today as well to see this. You know, we see the world, it's broken, just as broken as it was back in this time. You know, but, but, but what we see now, we see, we see uh, you know, terror attacks, discrimination, hatred, injustice, racism, corruption, and these are just to name a few. You know, but these things that we see every day in our daily lives, that we see on social media, these are not, you know, they, these didn't happen all of a sudden. It wasn't something that happened overnight. This was something that was a gradual process. Steadily moving away from God, making decisions that took them east. Adam and Eve were deceived, but, you know, we see here in, in our lives that the ocean, the current that we live in daily, the temptations to make compromises that seem small in the moment, but these compromises will lead us to taking our eyes off of God, and they, they will have us drifting east with the current of the world. You know, and as disciples, it takes action and effort to not get swept up in the rip. You know, so how can we avoid drifting? How can we avoid drifting in our lives? Number one, consistency in the word. You know, in the garden, Eve was deceived by, the, by Satan because she didn't know what God really said. You know, if we stay entrenched in the word, if we stay in the word and seek to understand what it means, we will not be deceived by Satan. Number two, get and stay connected. You know, get and stay connected to the body. If you're wondering today if God is calling you to move to a place with no church, with no connections, the answer is probably no. But the purpose of that is so that you can have relationships, so that you can have one another to hold each other accountable. You know, who, who can draw you closer to God. And when, you know, because we all will drift at some point, but when we drift, they can, they can realign us. They can bring our focus back on God so that we can make that U-turn and we can come back, come back west. And then thirdly, drawing your convictions from the word. If you draw your convictions from the Bible, they're not going to change. And if they do change, it's not because your situation has changed, but because you understand the Bible and what it says better. You understand what it means more thoroughly in your life. You know, and if we can avoid drifting, then we will end up closer to God and able to use His gifts for all that they are capable of. All right, my second point, meant for more. These people had so many things going for them. You know, I mean, even just first of all, it says that they all had one language. That in and of itself is just amazing. Can you imagine going to a foreign country and not having to have translation, not having to have subtitles on that video because it was in German. What's the German? Yeah. <laughs> Olaf, come on. You're my German guy. So, but, but yeah, so not having to translate, not having to do any of that, that would have been amazing. You know, but, but, then, but then we see also that they, they had the brick. They were creative. They, they, they made something completely new. You know, you can almost imagine the angelic beam of light coming down on the brick as they made it. This would have been an amazing achievement in ancient architecture. 
you know, completely changing the, the way that you built cities. You know, instead of needing to be by a quarry that you could go and you could, you could bring up the stone, cut it just to the right size, you could make your own. You know, you could, you could make your own stones and you could build it wherever you were at. They had amazing things going for them, but what did they do with it? They decided to use it for their own ends. To make a name for themselves so that it would not be scattered across the whole earth. By settling in one spot, they were actively defying what God had told them to do. God's plan for humanity was be fruitful, increase in number, fill the whole earth and subdue it. You know, but they chose for themselves something different. They had been given a great purpose. But they chose something, for the, so, something different for themselves. Some, a different God to worship. And that God was themselves. They strove to make a tower to show God that in their lives he was not relevant. He was not needed. There was a pride in their hearts that said, I know better than God. I know better than God and he has no idea what he's talking about. He's clearly doing something wrong. And over in Luke chapter 151, we get a little bit of a glimpse of what this means. You don't have to turn over there, uh, but Mary makes a reference to, uh, to the Tower of Babel in her song. She says, he has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. We too, in this, in this room right here, we have been given great gifts. The amount of skill in this room, the amount of creativity is astounding. You know, but are we using these gifts the way that God commands us? The way that God wants us to? Or like the people in the story, are we using these gifts towards our own selfish ends? To make a name for ourselves? To benefit our family, our tribes? How are we using these gifts that, God, that have been given to us to glorify God? And how do we do good for those around us, not just for our immediate families? You see, it's the world that tells us that we have to look out for number one. We have to look out for me and mine. You know, but that's not what we were made for. That's not what our intention is. We have something so much more that we're called to. And that's the example of Christ. Over in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 through 8, you know, you guys can go ahead and turn over there. But what, what it is, is we were baptized. And when we said Jesus is Lord, we chose not to look at, to the world to tell, to tell us how we live our life. Not to look to the world to tell us where to go, who to look to. But instead, to look to Christ for guidance on how to live. In Philippians 2, verse 5 through 8, it says, In your relationships with one, anum, with one another... Next slide, please. With your, in your relationships with one another... Have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being very, in very nature God, did not consider equality with God as something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, he may, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. This part in verse 8 is so important. You know, because it highlights the key difference between Christ and us by nature. Jesus humbled himself. He was never proud, and it was by choice. Us, on the other hand, we do not always win this battle. You know, we, we, we sometimes cannot even see the fact that we're being proud. 
So how do we know? How do we know that we're being proud? Well, I'll give you one example. If you ever find yourself judging or looking down on others, or heaven forbid, judging God, thinking that he must have it wrong, you need to check your heart. Because your pride is talking. This is not the only way, of course, but this is a clear indication for me when I'm being proud. When I'm looking down and judging others, it's because I have forgotten where I have come from. Forgotten what my sin is and where I have stood and do stand before God. I've forgotten that it's, it's only by grace that I've been given the opportunity to have a relationship with him. Jesus humbled himself. But I find for, my, for me, I, my, my humbling comes from external sources. You know, either I've been proud and someone challenges me on it. Or I've made a fool of myself and I get humbled. Or a circumstance comes up that I have no choice but to ask somebody else for help. What does it take in your life for you to be humbled? Does it take failing in some sort of observable way by others before we realize our need for help? Does it take giving into sin? Brothers, when you're, when you're doing well in your purity, is that when you, when you get proud? Is that when you start to stumble and you only humble out when you give back in? That, that can't be. There are people that I know who go through extreme events, car accidents, near-death experiences. You know, they, they have miraculous rescues happening in their lives, but yet they still harden their hearts. They don't see the way that God is acting, the way that God is working in their lives. So I have a, I have a question for you guys. Who is the person in your life that no matter what's going on, you know that they are going to tell you what you need to hear? Not what you want to hear, but what you need to hear. Who is that person? Another question. Do they know that they are that person for you? (laughs) You know, do they know that you are counting on them to do that for you? And then question three. Are you listening to them? (laughs) You know, these are the th- these are three questions we need to be asking ourselves. You know, a practical for for all of us, you know, is David says in the Psalms, he describes pride like a necklace. You know, the reason that he describes it this way is because a necklace is not visible to the wearer. A necklace is only visible to those who are closest to them. You know, husbands, your wives, wives, your husbands, your children, your flatmates, your parents, your siblings, your friends. So for this, I only have one practical. One practical for you guys today. Be humble. Be truly honest. Be open and vulnerable. This is what it really means to be humble. Honest, open, and vulnerable. You know, for, for everyone here alike, we need to be talking to brothers and sisters. We need to be confessing our, our, our sinful thoughts. You know, we need to be confessing our proud thoughts. Not just when our sin breaks through the surface. Not just when we're acting out. When we confess what's in our minds and in our hearts, that's when we're truly being open, honest, and vulnerable. What's going on on the inside is where we really get to the root, and if we can show that to other people, that is true humility. Now, how this applies to each one of us might be a little bit different. So, unlike these other young bloods, I am married. So, uh, I'm going to talk to the married brothers for a moment. So, married brothers, 
If you aren't asking for your wife's input, if you're not actively soliciting her help in your spiritual life, you are shooting yourself in the foot. Our wives know us better than anyone else. Why wouldn't you ask for their help in your life? Why? Seriously, why wouldn't you ask for their help? You know, but on top of that, we also need to be asking, you know, brothers. Because I don't know if you guys know this, but men and women are different, right? Did you guys know that? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So this is new teaching. But men and women are different. And guys, we need men in our lives to help us to unpack what's going on in our lives. Now, for the wives... I have this practical for you. Don't ignore the sin that you see in your husbands. Do not ignore it. Do not let it pass by. Your husbands need you to point out the cracks in their armor. If you don't do this, you are sending them into the battle with holes in their armor, and you're sending them in unprotected. You know, and this, the same thing goes for yourself. You need to be looking for their input in your life as well. You need to be doing that. Otherwise, you're missing your other half. You guys are one. You need to be acting like it. You know, and again, same thing applies for you. You need to have sisters in your life as well. You know, sisters reaching out to one another. Your husband, your wife, you guys, you can't be the only people that you are open and honest with. Campus and professionals. Here is a a controversial teaching. But... You do not have to be married to lead a godly life. I know, I know. It may sound crazy, but marriage, don't get me wrong, it's amazing. But you are no less spiritual because you're not married. You know, I think, I think oftentimes we forget that and we, we can focus too much on marriage. But you are being used for God. You know, I think, I think but what this does mean is that you have, to, you have to seek a little bit harder for these relationships. You have to have other people in your life, sisters, brothers in your life, who know you. Because otherwise, it's very easy to fly under the radar and your sin to be hidden. You know, the other thing that this means is when you see sin in your brother's life, in your sister's life, you have to call it out. Do not... It is better to get it wrong... And apologize than to have it right and not say anything. You know, you can always come back and be humble and apologize, but you don't always get that second chance to bring it up. You have the Holy Spirit if you're if you're a disciple today. Use it. Teens. You don't have to be old to be godly. Godliness has no age limit. You you don't have to be grown up before you can be godly. Be godly now. Be authentic, be real, be honest where you are right now. You don't have to wait for teen camp to do that. You know, if, if you know that you're not where you're supposed to be right now, tell someone. Tell someone that you respect. Tell someone that knows you. And get their advice. Be brutally honest. Because it's better to be in a bad place but in the light than to be in a good place but in the dark. You know, in this story, God acts to humble the people because otherwise there's no telling where their pride will lead them. God cares for his creation the way that a parent does for their children. He saw the way that things went last time when Cain's pride got out of hand and got the better of him. And so he steps in and acts so that human history does not repeat itself. 
Which brings me to my third and final point. God's plan. Something that I noticed when I was reading through this passage, you know, is that God is not dishing out curses. He's not passing them out like candy. You know, despite there being clear sin here, he doesn't, he doesn't hand out curses. In the past, whenever somebody has, whenever there's been sin that needs to be dealt with and he's put a curse down, there's always been a mention of who's been cursed and what the curse was. But, you know, why, why didn't he do that in this passage? You know, why, where, where, where's the curse? You know, but as I was listening to podcasts, as I was doing my research, you know, I, I came across, I came across this, uh, this Jewish teacher, Rabbi David Foreman. Um, and Foreman believed that the reason that there isn't a curse in this passage is because God has a different goal other than just punishment. You know, God's, con- God confusing their language for, uh, is obviously for the reason of, you know, preventing them from heading down a path to destruction. But it's also... Because it would force them to deny their own personal desires. And instead of that, to understand one another truly. You know, if anyone here has ever tried to have a conversation with someone who doesn't speak the same language as you, you know that it requires you to put yourself into the shoes of the other person and try to understand where they're coming from. You know, can anyone relate to that? Yeah. Yeah? Okay. You know, this, this forces you to think less about yourself and what you want, and more about the other person, you know, in, in a way that you don't naturally do when you speak the same language. Therefore, when God confused the language of humanity, it wasn't actually a curse, but rather a renewed purpose. You know, in order for humanity to progress, they would need to learn the language of others. You cannot learn a person's language without first learning about something in their perspective. We would have to learn how to work together selflessly, and at times, deny our own desires in order to succeed and to move forward. You know, God had every right to punish. He had every right to curse humanity, but he chose a different route. You know, this is God's character, a character that cares about humanity and reconciling them to himself, one that we see so clearly in the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28. You know, it says in Matthew chapter 28, many of us know this. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. You know, Jesus, just like God in this passage, if you know anything about this story, he had every right to curse all the people who had killed him. He had every right to curse the disciples who were there with him for deserting him in his time of greatest need. But he didn't do that. Instead, he gives his disciples a new purpose. Or maybe not so new. You know, to go and to reconcile humanity. This charge would face the same challenges that, the human, that humanity faced when the languages were confused. But as we can see from this very room right here, that the command of Christ has brought people together from all nations, all backgrounds, you know, back to him. It's not always clean. It's messy, you know, but because as humans, we all make mistakes. We struggle. We have pride. You know, we have, we can be selfish at times, but the call is still a unifying one. We have different things that we consider important. We have different values 
different struggles, different cultures, different skills. But we have the same Lord that we follow. And this is what brings us together. Jesus didn't come, didn't, didn't come to curse because it, it has always been God's purpose to reclaim humanity and bring them back west. Not geographically, but to bring them back to him. To bring people back from the destruction. Back from the confused purpose. Back from their pride and their sin. And to recreate humanity with the humanity that we have right now. That currently exists. We won't be perfect by no means. But God has shown time and time again that he works through flawed people and his purposes work for the good. So how can we put this into practice? So number one, we need to connect cross-culturally. You can keep, next slide, next slide. We need to connect cross-culturally. You know, we need to go out of our way to interact with people from different cultures. It's very easy, even amongst us, to gravitate to people who are like us, people from the same cultural, cultural area, the same language, all this sort of stuff. But God wants us to connect with people from all backgrounds, all cultures, you know, in a, in a way that they don't feel judged or hated or anything like that. But it takes effort to connect to these people from different backgrounds. You know, it, it, and don't let your insecurity prevent you from loving other people in our lives. Number two, patience through practice. You know, we're not going to get it right the first time. When you interact with somebody, you may flop. You may do a terrible job, but you know what? Be patient with yourself. Be patient with yourself be, as they will be patient with you. You be patient with others. You know, if you have difficulty with this, if you have difficulty being patient with yourself, or if you have difficulty being patient with others, remember how much patience God has had on you, and that's what helps me. And thirdly, this one's very simple. Share your faith with everyone. I'm not just talking about with non-disciples. I'm not just talking about with disciples. We need to share our faith, talk about the way that God has impacted our life with anyone and everyone who will listen. Yeah. You know, because it's, it's only when we, do, when we make it a part of who we are that it really makes an impact. And when you've had this practice, when you reach out to other people, you will really know what it is that you're sharing with them. You're not just inviting them to church. You're inviting them to an opportunity to be reconciled to God, bringing them back west. So, today as we leave, as we go throughout our weeks, let us remember to head west. The river of the world is drifting east of God. You know, in order to maintain our ground, we have to have our eyes fixed on him. Remember that you are meant for more. You cannot allow your pride to step in and rob you of the power and the plan that God has for us. And finally, let's remember that we're following God's plan. A plan that has been around and been at work since the beginning. That involves impacting uh, imperfect people impacting and denying themselves to bring others to be reconciled back to God in the same way that we have been. Let us be a church in Auckland that lives this out every day. To God be the glory. Amen.